50th day after the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, we looked at what Pentecost was all about. Last week, we came back and followed up. And we're going to stay on this theme of Holy Spirit. Um, We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. The scriptures teach that there is one God who exists in three persons. And I think we have some slides here for you. One God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the way I like to put it is uh, it would be a mistake to see it as a hierarchy. Here's Father God, here's Christ the Son, here's Holy Spirit, okay? But rather, if you put up the little diagram there, you have the Father, they have the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? All God, they move together. Each one is, has a specific role. But Father Christ and Holy Spirit have always existed. They've never known anything but perfect love and perfect harmony, Father and Son and Spirit really have created us and invites all of humanity into their shared love here in this life and forever. And that's the good news of the gospel is that every person has been included in God's love and in the salvation through Christ Jesus at the cross and resurrection and all are invited to participate to participate, to experience the salvation of the Lord, participate in this divine flow of life. You know, when we go to the Gospels and we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see the beautiful life of Christ continually interacting with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. You see where Jesus is when you read through the Gospels You have the Father, you have the Holy Spirit, all moving and flowing together in union. Christ never moved or acted independently. Um, But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always move with absolute and utmost honor of the others. So where Christ is, there is Holy Spirit, okay? Holy Spirit is the shared life and the love of the union of the Father and Christ Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon all flesh that makes it possible for us as humankind to share in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Never see yourself as apart from, but rather you have been joined together with Christ through simply by simply believing in who he is and what he has done. Now, we could also say that the relationship of Holy Spirit with Father and Christ Jesus is indivisible. I love this one verse of scripture where uh, Paul just kind of lays it out so plainly and you see the, the three persons of the Trinity, if you will, 2 Corinthians 13 and he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, speaking about Father God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's what we're experiencing here this morning. That's what we can experience this afternoon in our homes. 
We get to experience tomorrow morning when we wake up. As a matter of fact, all through the night in our sleep is this being um, participants in this divine flow of love of the Lord Jesus, God the Father, and Holy Spirit. I would like to go back to the gospel according to John. We referred to this the other day, but we're going to John chapter 14 for a few moments, and then we'll scoot ahead to John 16. In this section of scripture, Jesus was speaking with the disciples right before he went to the cross. And what he wants them to know about their union with the Father is simply because of the relationship that he has had with them. And in chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you here in the flesh. He says, But the Helper, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, the Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus here is presenting to them the reality of the coming of Holy Spirit and of the working presence of Holy Spirit who works not independently but works in perfect harmony and union with the Father and the Son. So our Father who loves us who invites us into close intimacy and fellowship with us. That's how, why he created us. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that before creation, go to Ephesians chapter 1, before creation, he literally had his heart on us and he chose us in love. And he's lavished us. But before creation, this was his mind. This wasn't kind of like, I'm going to create the world and create humankind and now what am I going to do with them well of course I'll, I'll love them no before creation this was his eternal plan and always was and will be is that he would have this beautiful close relationship with humanity initiated by him as Ephesians says he chose us well now after the work of Christ's ministry is completed here on earth, Jesus said he's going to send the helper. The Greek word parakletos is in this passage. It's translated as helper in uh, ESV and some other versions. A couple of the versions, it's translated as advocate. Uh, could be related to as a legal counsel or legal representative, a legal defender, uh, counselor. Uh, it's translated as in King James and a few other versions as well. But the role of Holy Spirit is to relationally represent Father and Christ to us and to in turn represent us before the Father and the son. Now, Jesus continues this conversation with the disciples. He's wanting to give them some very practical, but some spiritual insight as to what is about to take place when the spirit comes. And in chapter 15, 
he shares again about the coming. It's the same conversation, but so he brings it up later in the conversation. John 15, verse 26. Let's look at it. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. One of the principal purposes of the Holy Spirit is to testify, to reveal Jesus Christ. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit, of course, releases joy and peace within our lives and gives us counsel and gives us understanding and gives us direction. But in the midst of all of that, the primary ministry of Holy Spirit is to testify and to reveal Christ Jesus, okay? So it's more than for us to experience life, to experience power, the power of God's presence, which we do, but is to testify of Jesus Christ. Now if we scoot forward into John 16. Now we've already touched on some of these passages, but I'd like us to go back to John 16, verses 1 through 15. Jesus said, I have said all of this to keep you from falling away. Now, that is kind of an interesting comment. It's an interesting statement because Jesus recognizes that within any relationship, there can be ebb and flow. How many times have we experienced this in our lives in a very practical sense? Is that a relationship can come together, it can be really close, and then it can be can fall away. It can actually be broken as terms of the interaction between any two people. And so since God's whole ministry to humankind and with humankind is that of relationship, Jesus is helping the disciples to understand that the ministry of Holy Spirit is so important for us to pay attention to and to be receptive of so that we can stay in union and harmony with the Father and with the Son by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, they, he's speaking now of the religious leaders, the world, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, this wasn't particularly exciting news for Jesus to kind of be uh, uh, prophetically foretelling their martyrdom. But it was true, and so Jesus is rather just kind of straight up about it and letting them to know that we're in relationship, we will continue to be in relationship by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, why that you will experience some of this very painful tribulation. Chapter 16, verse 3, they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. The lights haven't come on for those who will persecute you. It still means that there is still darkness. Even though God's heart is for all people, There is this thing of darkness, and that's why we always pray, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the eyes of Billy's heart and and Susie's heart, Lord, because 
This is what we all need, the opening of spiritual eyes to catch the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, which is a game changer for us. Then Jesus says, I have said these things that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, meaning I was with you in person. So Jesus is addressing the 12 disciples here. Now, these are the 12 that had followed after him uh, for three years. And of course, then we had Judas who betrayed Jesus the night of the crucifixion, then he died by suicide. And of the remaining 11, actually, history tells us that 10 of the 11 died a martyr's death, just as Jesus prophetically foretold. Why did they die this type of a death? Because the people who persecuted them and ultimately took their lives did not understand. They actually believed they were doing a good thing, okay? And so sometimes the suffering we experience in our lives is because of our choices. Can't blame it on anyone else. It's just because we simply misperceived a matter and, and bought into a lie, possibly a lie of the enemy, and, and, and got ourselves off track into the ditch, and then we, we suffer some consequence. But sometimes the sufferings we experience is because of the influence of darkness on another person's life. And just as any one of us can be duped, can be deceived, so sometimes another person can enter into a place of hopelessness and uh, can actually believe that their thinking and line of thought is, is for the good, okay? And so sometimes the sufferings of people is simply because they thought that they were about father's business, actually believed it. You can understand the religious people of Christ today actually believed they were doing God a service. They thought that God, Jehovah, was actually being honored by the killing of Christ Jesus because they just didn't see. Now, in my uh, background, Anabaptist background, um, the movement started in the mid-1500s during the Great Reformation, okay? And uh, over 3,000 of our people were burned at the stake, some were beheaded, and some drowned in rivers for simply believing and practicing water baptism of believers instead in place of infant baptism. Over 3,000 were killed because they said, we actually believe that, that baptism is much more significant when a person comes to an understanding and a faith in Christ Jesus, whether as a child, a young person, or at any stage. And it caused such disturbance in the church at this time that the Swiss Reformed people actually beheaded and drowned some of the people. Thousands of families uh, suffered persecution and loss. On March 7th, 1526, the Zurich Council actually passed an edict that made adult baptism punished by drowning. This was an edict in Switzerland at Zurich. On the 5th of January, 1527, Felix Mons became the first casualty of the edict and the Swiss Baptist 
uh, Anabaptists to be martyred at the hands of the Protestants, okay? I actually have a photo. Just a year ago, this very week, I think almost this day, um, uh, Danette and Daniel and I were literally in downtown. We stayed in a hotel downtown Zurich. And here is the Lamat River running through the town. And right smack out in the middle of that river right there is where Felix Mons was drowned because he believed in baptism for believers. Isn't that interesting? And these wonderful people thought that they were doing God a favor. On an interesting point, that morning we had as our tour guide of Zurich a pastor, a seasoned pastor of 40 years, a Swiss Reformed pastor. Well, he knew the history well. This was his hometown. And being Swiss Reformed, he knew that was in their history. And interestingly enough, he led a um, movement, a delegation of people where a few years ago they came to America and met with many of the Anabaptist leaders and repented uh, before the Lord and before the people for having brought persecution and the taking of 3,000 lives. It was a beautiful thing. It was moving just to hear this pastor uh, tell us the story. But what it goes to show is, is how do we as humans can get off track and cause so much disturbance, but believing all along that we're doing God a favor. Wow. You say, well, it's simple. We should know better than that. That's true. We should know better. But the reality is humankind Sometimes we become duped by the evil one. We buy into lies. We have distorted perspectives. And we each should have sometimes distorted perspectives of Scripture. You know, for example, slavery was thought to be perfectly acceptable before the God because the Bible refers to slaves. And therefore, from their point of view, God endorses slavery. They were Christian. Many of the slave owners were Christians, people who said, we follow the Bible, and the Bible says it's okay to have slaves and take our whips and make them work for us. It's acceptable. So interesting as fellow humankind, some, uh, we can really get ourselves in, in some difficult situations. Well, Jesus says, I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete or the counselor, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Did you know that there was great division between the East and the Western church in 1054, this being one of the issues? The East said that the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father, and the West said the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus, and each of them had a Bible verse for it. So here Jesus says, I will send him to him. We just read a few verses. I will ask the Father, and he will send him to you. 
Now, the reality is because the Father, Son, and Spirit all work together in perfect union and harmony, yes, it was both of them that sent the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, look, it's to your advantage for the Holy Spirit. Now, it's cool to have me here on site. I loved hanging out with you for these years, Jesus says, but it's actually going to be to your advantage and to the advantage of all of humanity that I go and that the Holy Spirit will be released, poured out upon who? A few select ones? No, all people. Because I will begin to work in the hearts of all people around the globe, every people group. And I will work in their hearts to bring them to a point of understanding of Jesus and to lead them to a place of confession of faith in Jesus Christ. This is the primary mission of Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus. John 15, we have it again. He will testify about me. You also must testify. So as we're getting downloads of who Christ is, and for us, we're so privileged to have the scripture we have the scriptures that point us to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the final authority of all things in our lives, and it's the Holy Spirit that points us to Jesus. He uses scripture. He uses, speaks with a still, small voice sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? You can just be going about your day, and you just have this sense within the depths of your soul, the depths of your being. We may say the depths in our spirit. You have this sense of the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it can be within our minds. It's like you just have this sense of knowing. Right now, I just feel Holy Spirit. I heard Holy Spirit. Maybe the thought came. Maybe it comes up on like a reader board in your mind's eye, you know. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus. Now, verse 8. Now we're going to get more into the meat of our topic this morning. When he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So in his mission of testifying about Jesus, there are three specific points that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to humanity. It's concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Now, he's going to convince who? The cosmos, the whole world. Right now, our whole world there is brokenness. The whole earth is groaning, and we obviously we have earthquakes, and we have all of these disturbances on the earth. It will be restored one day, right? New heaven and a new earth. Look at humanity. We're kind of messed up, aren't we? Just look at your neighbor. You know, and tell them, I'm messed up. We're all messed up a little bit. None of us see perfectly clear. None of us see the whole of the reality of Christ and who he is in his, all of his glory. We see, and there's kind of like a fog sometimes, but thank God that little by little, he keeps revealing himself and we keep going, wow. God, you're more amazing than I even realized yesterday. 
I just got some greater understanding. So the Greek word here that's used that he will convince, it is translated uh, in a few uh, uh, Bibles as convict or to convince, to show, to demonstrate. I think I have that one here for you. Um, demonstrate, prove, convince, persuade. Persuade us of what? Well, of the realities of God's perspective regarding sin. Did you notice that sin is singular? Okay. Now, when we think of sin, a lot of time, immediately, we have this little, on a digital board within our minds, say, there's the list of sins. Okay. Wrong deeds, bad attitudes, immoral behavior. There's a list because that's where our minds go to. But it's not a mistake that it is singular here because that list that unfolds in our minds are the symptoms. That is the result of sin, okay? So when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, let's dive into this verse 9. Concerning sin. Now, Jesus explains it. The sin is, they do not believe in me. You know, Jesus could have said, all of the immoral things that I have touched on in an address that you as humanity know are wrong. No, 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 no. He said, no, let's get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is unbelief. Now, there's really only really one sin in this sense, and it's a relational one, and it's simply unbelief. Not knowing the heart of the Father and believing, not knowing and or not, believing the heart and will of our Heavenly Father through Christ Jesus. This was the problem in the garden of Eden. God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. You have the tree of life that's central. He admonished them to partake of the tree of life that they may have life eternal. And he also admonished them not to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The serpent came and what did the serpent communicate to Eve? He planted a seed of doubt and unbelief. Hath God said, are you sure this is, are you sure, Eve, you heard right? Are you sure that's what God meant? There you go. The enemy of our soul still today works quite effectively with planting seeds of doubt and unbelief. And so Eve became a victim of the sin of unbelief. The partaking of the tree of knowledge was just the result of. The real problem was now she began to doubt 
well, I wonder if God really meant what he said. And then the Satan says to him, or the serpent says, you know, um, you, know you, you can become as gods if you'll eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were already godlike. They were made in the image of God. They hadn't sinned yet. They were they perfectly formed in every dimension. Now, they had not partaken of the tree of life, had not yet had life eternally, but here they were, and then the lie of the enemy came. And so the greatest problem of humanity is unbelief. Here's another example. We could go through the scriptures, give tons of them. We could give personal stories ourselves as well. But Israel believed God concerning their deliverance from Egypt. God had spoken to Pharaoh. Go back to Exodus. He had spoken to Pharaoh. I want you to let my people go and let them go out into the wilderness to worship. And the scripture says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And after a while, God says, okay, Pharaoh, have it your way. Have it your way then. And thus we have the scripture and God hardened his heart. Now, it was never the loving God who just said, okay, now I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he is obstinate and rebellious. No, no, no. He just basically said, okay, you keep resisting, you keep hardening your heart, so have it your way, and you'll suffer the consequences, but my will will be accomplished. Well, the Israelites believed and they saw their deliverance and the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, and now they're out into the wilderness where they could worship. It was beautiful. But as is according to how God works, he's progressive in this sense that he moves us along in process all through life, or at least that's his desire. Israel got stalled in the wilderness for 40 years and they only needed to be there a few weeks because the promises of God were before them and a whole generation never discovered them because of what? Unbelief. Did you know that we can literally do the same? I wonder about my life. I wonder about your life. I wonder about us. Let's just talk about us Christians. Maybe you're stalled. Maybe you're still at a place where you've camped and you're feeling quite comfortable and cozy, but God has said, I have some prophetic promises for you that I want to move you forward. It's going to require some inner transformation. You've got to get your thinking renewed in order for you to experience the next phase of your journey. I think it's very likely that many wonderful people, good people, Christian people, are stuck because of unbelief. And unbelief is often connected with fear. I'm, I'm, I'm at least I know what I have here. I don't like everything I have here. I don't like the lack, but I'm afraid to stick my neck out too far. I'm afraid of the risk. 
I, I don't know if I want to change that bad. Be, because you're, you're, you're telling me now I have to change my thinking, God? Well, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with my belief system. And now somebody's coming along presenting something to me, quoting even Bible verses that suggests that maybe, maybe my belief system could be adjusted. But I like, I'm comfortable with my belief system just like this. And there we sit in the wilderness, not growing and obtaining the promises of God. Because we are afraid to change. We're resistant most often because of fear. Or sometimes just complacency. It's hard sometimes to hear a fresh word of the Lord. It's, it's easy to say, oh God, I just need a fresh word from you, a fresh perspective. And I'm going to go to scriptures and ah, we read something and go, oh yeah, that just reinforces my belief system. That makes me feel comfortable today. I'm feeling all warm and fuzzy because this is what I'm familiar with. How many of you know that growth is uncomfortable? Right? It's uncomfortable. So what if we prayed, God, make me really, really mega uncomfortable because I've got to grow I don't want to keep staying in the wilderness. I've got to find the land of promise that you have spoken into my heart, my family, and we've got to be moving forward. I don't care the price I have to pay. I don't care about the cost. I don't care about the pain of change. It's the role of the Holy Spirit, and he comes so gently, and that's why sometimes we can shrug off. Holy Spirit, and get into our defensive posture because we're uncomfortable. Oh. See, we, we think what happens sometimes in Christianity is we can be simply become religious moralists, and the goal is simply not to do all the bad things on this big list. If your goal is simply to avoid doing the bad things on the list, you're missing the whole point of what it means to follow God. The point of following God is to move from face to face, from glory to glory, in pursuit of his heart and his interests, regardless of the cost and the price I have to pay. And that also includes denying the flesh. The Pharisees knew the scriptures well. They considered themselves at a high level of spirituality, but everything to the Pharisee was about all the things they must comply with and all of these wrong things that they must denounce and avoid. And they became snared. And Jesus had some tough words to say to these guys called the scribes and the Pharisees. Wow. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Now, we understand at an elementary level 
to simply not to believe that Christ is God, the Savior of the world, the one who laid his life down for the sin of humanity, that we can't experience salvation. We get that. But Jesus is more to us than just the one who saved us by his work at the cross. There is the fullness of the life of the kingdom of God yet in store for us to experience. And so often I see that as Christians, sometimes Christians say, well, hallelujah, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, so yippee. And I would say, yippee. <laughs> oh, oh, that's just the beginning. Don't remain a baby. Don't remain at the elementary levels like Hebrews talks about. Keep going over the basic elementary doctrines of things. It's over and over again. Let's get into an exploratory mode of who Jesus is and who he wants to be to me. And then he calls us, will you trust me with this next phase? It's going to require your belief system to change. See, see, the problem is we want to hold on to our belief system and grow at the same time, and you can't. Something has to shift in our thinking and in the attitudes of our hearts, or you cannot, I cannot grow. I've really been tested in this in the last number of years. By the Lord, he's been so good to me, and he's so gracious to me as he is you. But boy, it has not been easy at times. I find myself, yeah, but, yes, but like understanding scripture in a different way than I had seen before. It's like, what? What? And then after a while, you kind of go like, oh my goodness. Here the glorious mystery of Christ has been hiding in plain sight all along. It's not even mysterious in the sense of not knowable or understandable. It's just there. Right there it is. But it requires change. Change of heart. Change of attitude. So this is the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I am woefully behind where I planned on being. And so it's probably a good thing just to stop. We've got all summer. We're in no timeline. We don't have to get done with our study of the Holy Spirit by two weeks from now. And literally, I was sharing with their fellow leadership team that this is a theme we're going on. And I said, you know, I don't know how many weeks. Sometimes we'll lay out a series for specific weeks, four weeks or five or six or something. But I really felt like the Lord says, let's just take our time. Let's just hang out in these scriptures about the Holy Spirit. You know what? Here's what I want to encourage us in today. Invite the Lord to say, Say, Lord Jesus, here's my heart, my life, my mind, my soul, my body, everything. I want to continually move forward in this transformation. That I might be fully conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I'm very much aware that that means a lot more changes to come in me, in my attitude. In other words, you don't necessarily have to have a bad attitude to need change. Just to have a, a, a perception from, from God's point of view affects our attitude, 
affects our belief system, our thinking, our processing, so that we might be fully conformed to the likeness of Christ. What is there to fear about that? Well, because change is sometimes painful. Honestly, sometimes change is not always understood by one's spouse. You start changing and your thinking changes and things start happening and you're like, man, you won't believe how I'm growing. And a spouse can say like, whoa, 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 just slow down now, boy. You're getting way too scary for me. Yeah, sometimes friends. Let's give each other room to change and grow. Let's cheer one another on. And how many of you know, just like an adolescent in our homes, when they're going through that whole process of change hormonally, they can be all over the board. And you know what we do? We just love our kids right through it, just like our parents loved us through that process, right? And so we need to give each other permission to change and, and say, oh, tell me about how is God changing you? How's he changing your heart? How's he changing your thinking? Oh, tell me about some scripture that now you see in a new light that you've never seen before. You see, we can provoke one another in a good way of provoking. Stir one another up to change and to growth. Why not 2023 to be a beautiful year of growth and change? Probably not without some discomfort. I'm not suggesting you aren't changing or growing, but what I am wanting to challenge is us to continue in the process, moving from glory to glory. There was a little chorus we used to sing a long time ago. I won't tell you how many decades ago, but it's when I was a teenager. Well, Jordan, you haven't lived long enough to know this one. From glory to glory, he's changing me. All right, let's have a show of hands. How many of you know that's the little chorus? From glory to glory, he's changing me, changing me, changing me. You know where the oldies are sitting today. <laughs> let's stand up together. Oh. You know what's interesting to me? That the Holy Spirit was so strategic that even our music today, the songs, the songs that Jenna selected had to do a lot with about fear versus faith. Growth has everything to do with confidence in my Lord. Confidence in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to initiate change. And my cooperative spirit to say, yes, Lord, do in me. If I need to unlearn some things in life, how I see myself, how I see you, how I see other people, so be it. Oh, because I want to be conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's just extend our hands and we say, we welcome you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us to participate in your life. Thank you for the change in ourselves, in our hearts, the change in us as a community of faith, Lord. What all does that look like? I don't know, but I am fully confident that you're leading and guiding us into truth. You would never mislead us. It's just that sometimes we're afraid. 
we become afraid of the unknown. But God, we don't want to hang out in a wilderness because we fear the unknown or we fear the possibilities of giants. Lord, let us be strong and courageous and open unveil our hearts to personal change and growth. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen.